This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Alright and hello and welcome to Unequal Sequel. My name is Dave and I am one of the two hosts of this very cool and exciting podcast. And I'm Rich and I'm the other host of this cool and exciting podcast. Think of me as Batman to Dave Superman. I've got a deeper voice but he likes wearing his pants on the outside of his trousers. That is very true. The premise of, of <laughs> the premise of unequal sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, their worst ever sequel, and finally their dream sequel. And of course, we like to drift off and just talk about movies and sometimes things, other stuff too. We also go into a little bit of spoiler territory, but these are mostly very old movies, so you have been warned. Yeah. On today's episode, we are joined by Tim from the Sequelizers, which is the sequel to last week's episode. And of course, you'll know already because you listened to last week's episode tim is a podcaster on the sequelizers podcast where they take rubbish sequels and they pitch ideas to make them better it's really entertaining very worth worth a listen we were very excited to sit down with tim and chat all things sequels with him this is tim from the sequelizers unequal sequels enjoy so let's just start right at the very beginning. What is your first memory of a sequel that you loved or the first memory of a sequel you wanted to start in the cinema? Oh, man. I was trying to think of this because we, we, we were having a chat about it, not not in, as part of an episode, just uh, amongst ourselves, the sequelizers. My, my parents weren't, aren't particularly like film-heavy people, so I went to the cinema when I was a kid, but we, we didn't like... I didn't have kind of my parents sitting me down to watch their favourite films kind of thing. So I think it would have been something almost sort of accidental. Like, I know I saw Ghostbusters 2, A, before I saw Ghostbusters, and also like pretty early on. I yeah. think I remember the both of the Sister Act movies being on fairly heavy rotation when I was a kid. I think they just like ITV had the licence to them and just decided to put them on every other... S- Sunday afternoon um, and so I still I have a lot of affection for those movies I know they're not high art Sister Act 2 is awesome <laughs> I'm just gonna let you know Tim I've cried at Sister Act 2 oh yeah when when uh, when he hits the high note when they're oh. when they're singing Oh Happy Day you know yes yeah. I was so proud of you them. where you live so happy yeah <laughs> so no shame in that this is a safe place for Sister Act 2 and it is better than Sister Act 1 in my opinion as well yeah well it's got uh, you know it's got Lauren Hill like a young Lauren Hill being like this talented singer and what what a what an amazing bit of like lucky casting they had there <laughs> very true yeah so it would have been stuff like that in in cinema like the first ones that really jumped to mind are the other star wars re-releases but they would have been when i was about 11 so mm. i think there must have been something before that but they're they're the ones that really stick in my mind as like an early experience of going to the cinema knowing that it was part of like a continuing story and you know there was more to look forward to after that yeah and had you seen the star wars sequels at that point like previously no that was my first time seeing them in the cinema so that was that was really nice 
yeah and then obviously the the prequels came along uh, oh. a few years later and yeah. I, I was i was 13 when i saw phantom menace so i was like the fight at the end was really cool so i liked it uh and then by the time attack of the clones came uh, along i was a little bit more like i'm not sure this is actually good <laughs> <laughs> i mean attack of the clones is by far the worst like i yeah i mean it's there's so many sequences of that where it's just a ps1 cutscene, <laughs> basically yeah yeah you're spot on it really is oh yeah just uh, there's the floating fruit scene between with anakin oh, and, God. Yeah. and padme like oh there's, there's just no chemistry <laughs> i've i've blacked out like most of of the romance stuff in my brain i think because of the age i saw it at i wasn't kind of like particularly caring about that stuff now i'd love it if there was a like a great romance in a star wars film but uh i think at the time i was just like ah, i don't care about it. i know he's going to turn into darth vader so you know mm. why, why do i care about this stuff the film didn't go out of its way to make me care about it uh <laughs> despite despite my teenage uh objections it really yeah. didn't <laughs> yeah so i think um that that sticks in the mind as a as a, as a bad one <laughs> but how, how amazing to have seen like star wars as a cinema for the first time rather than like mm. on a scratchy vhs i think I, I would have seen it on for the first time like yes that must have been outstanding yeah i mean it does mean that i i don't know if i've ever seen like the non-special edition versions i'm i think i must have at some point but like you know stuff like oh you know they the sort of i've always had those like cgi x-wings mm. uh shots that they've put in they still stick in my mind and i can remember my dad actually like one of the few th- few times we have kind of bonded over films talking about how he saw it early when in the in the uk because he had like friends in canada or something who managed to get hold of like a reel of it and uh, or like that and then they'd come over to visit and so they watched it at home on like a home projector so they um, brought like, a reel of star wars across amazing. the ocean <laughs> yes yeah so um wow yeah so he saw he saw at least some of it early and then about i don't know i don't know what the gap between release in the us and the uk was but two weeks Two months later, you know, went and saw it in the cinema and was like, "I think it was months at this point." I had to look up a few, couple of episodes ago what the the difference between Phantom Menace was between America and UK, and it was like nearly two and a half months. Yeah, that would just be crazy if that happened it, now. It's so strange to think about how that's that used to be the standard. I mean, six and, months, and thank sometimes. God it isn't. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it'd be half a year waiting for a film to come out over here that had been on in the in America. It was crazy. And unfortunately, we still have it with a lot of the Oscar stuff. Sort of, obviously, the blockbusters because they know that they're going to get pirated to death. Mm. Tend to be sort of simultaneous, or even we get them a couple of days early now. But but Oscar stuff, you can still be sitting around waiting and and have it so that they haven't come out here by the time the Oscars are telling you that they're best picture, and you're like. <laughs> Great, I'll I'll enjoy watching that in you know six weeks when it finally shows up. But well, that time everyone's ruined. Yes, yeah. I do I do remember that we didn't get a cinematic release of John Wick for like eight months mm. here, and Snowpiercer. I don't think we ever got a release, and they did in in North. No, America. well, Snowpiercer got really hosed by Harvey Weinstein. Unfortunately, I what? know that amongst his many many crimes. Yeah. yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if it if if it just kind of sank without a trace here and then came along on DVD and everyone was like, holy shit, have you seen this? <laughs> it's great. I've not seen yeah. it. What, Snowpiercer or not John Wick? Neither. What? I've not seen either of them. Oh my God. <laughs> I know John Wick's supposed to be really good and I will watch it one day. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm the I'm the, the the resident John Wick lover on our podcast. Not that the others hate it, but that I'm the the most vocal like proponent of of just how good it is. And mm, it's, they are good. I just have yeah. to be ready. If I know that a film has sequels, I know I have to watch all of those sequels. 
So before I have to be ready and have the time to watch all three of them, is it three <laughs> or four now? Three now, but four's been right. Yeah, four's on the way. So, you know, it's gonna, it's, you're only going to add to your challenge the longer you leave it. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I'll watch the three for when four comes out and we can do a review of four. <laughs> yes. But Rich, you're, you're getting a dog very soon. So yes. I don't know how to break this to you. I might break it to you now. <laughs> he goes on a rampage because his dog dies pretty much. Right. I'm not sure I can watch so... this movie. <laughs> 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 I'm sure that there must be out there like a John Wick edit where it just kind of like cuts out the first 15 minutes and it just starts yeah. with him on a rampage and you never find <laughs> it's just like you just have to accept he's Keanu Reeves he's killing a bunch of people he's got a dead wife um, as well he can do something like I'm, I'm less upset about his wife being dead than his dog like <laughs> so so's he yeah I think yeah it does fortunately like populate the rest of the universe with a bunch of other cute dogs that he encounters and, and kind yeah. of semi adopts that's so, okay you know, it's so, it, it makes like a mix up between Taken and Lady in the Tramp. <laughs> yes, less talking dogs, but yes. Cool, I'm down yeah, for that. Love that bit where two Liam Neesons have a bit of spaghetti <laughs> strung between their mouth. And... Right, should we go on to the big question? What is your favourite sequel ever? So, I am a huge comics fan. Even more than that, a huge X-Men fan. Uh, and so I was I can remember seeing the trailer for the first one in front of Mission Impossible <laughs> 2 uh, in the cinemas and actually like shaking with excitement uh, at the at the prospect of, of seeing uh, these characters up on the big screen. And I think X2 is just a fantastic film. I think it builds on what the first film did, which I know the first film, the first film seems to have turned into a bit of a punching bag in the first few years of people going like, oh, you know, it's a bit ropey. And I know, obviously, like, there were a lot of decisions made of, you know, like, oh, we can't do the costumes realistically and all that kind of stuff, which it turns out, hey, you can and people love it. But I still think the first film has, has a lot of strengths. X2, I think, is just so good. It handles the the big ensemble cast better than most other films. Like I, I struggle to think of films that balance that size of cast as well, especially like an action film kind of thing, and gives everyone some form of like character arc through it. Yeah. Apart from maybe Storm. Yeah, I, I just I love it. I, I can remember seeing it in the cinema. It was the first DVD I ever bought, and uh, I still I still love it to this day. Obviously, Brian Singer is. Fallen from grace, shall we say, to put it lightly, which is unfortunate, but trying to kind of separate mm. the art from the artist, I think it is, it's a fantastic film. It is a series that has then never hit that height, yeah. not even close, I don't think, apart from uh, Logan, which, you know, is only distantly related yeah, kind absolutely. of the yeah. brian singer thing i absolutely love the usual suspects so it's got brian singer and kevin spacey in it so i'm like very troubled that i can't watch that anymore <laughs> yeah i'm sort of i'm very glad that i bought i've got x2 i don't need to buy it again i'm not going to give any more money to <laughs> brian singer uh in the future so i'm sort of uh you know i, I that's how i morally square it yeah i think I, I think it's got a fantastic cast i think it does a really clever adaptation of the source material that sticks like really close when it needs to and comes up with like clever solutions for making it fit in that universe i think the casting is top notch brian cox is absolutely fantastic as striker i love the way it kind of expands on some of the minor roles especially like Iceman has that great kind of scene where it's the kind of the coming out yeah. metaphor which is really like cleverly done and and um yeah i i, I think it's it's just terrific. That opening sequence with Nightcrawler, so good. Absolutely breathtaking to see that in the cinema and just felt like you were watching something really 
kind of transformative like that that kind of action had not really been captured on film before you know that that kind of rapid fire teleporting character like that i can't really think of anything that had done that before or anything that's done it It quite as well definitely sets the tone for the rest of the movie when a movie opens like that as Mm. as good as that the white house scene when nightcrawl which is alan cummins isn't it of all people yeah (laughs) who you would you would think like what what a strange choice but he works really well he's really good yeah i think that's one of my top 10 beginnings ever i got to see this a little bit earlier than everyone i worked at a bowling alley at the time uh, they had a cinema above us and we always got invited to when they test the reels i guess they do so for like a week oh, before right, yeah. they always like i'll oh, come up and see just make sure it plays okay i remember sitting half an hour once mm. trying to see the end of jackass but this one played fine um <laughs> just describe it to my friends the next day they were so jealous and I was like, this beginning was going to blow your mind, lads. It's amazing. And the effects are so good. Yeah. They're still good oh, now. Yeah. Like, like the effects yeah, are still really good so now. Well. Yeah, and such a clever use of, like, practical, like, the makeup is is really good. Like, he's not quite kind of, like, comics-accurate mm. Nightcrawler, but I think as a as a adaptation into the, the universe that they'd already created, it works really well. He's a little bit kind of more tortured soul than the the kind of the bouncing figure of fun that he can be in the comics but yeah i think i think it's great and and like you say it sets the tone so well of kind of managing to to make the kind of the fantastic and the the very real Mm. mesh together um you've got that great like closing shot of the knife buried in the 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 resolute desk in the oval office with the Mm. mutant freedom now tag on it and uh oh yeah just such such great filmmaking and and you know editing and, and everything yeah. like that so when you saw it you, like you said you're a you're a big x-men fan what were your expectations going um in? i mean i kind of i'd followed you know the the kind of reading all the stuff like empire and and things like that in in the build-up to it um and uh and so i had quite high expectations like like i said i really enjoyed the first one I was uh, vaguely aware of like some of the casting. Obviously, the the kind of the the internet rumor mill as it exists now wasn't quite at the same speed, and certainly I didn't have access. You know, I wasn't on the ain't it cool news or whatever existed then. But I, I was I was aware of some of the stuff that like the casting and things like that, and some of the characters that they were introducing. And I knew that you know they they'd made Wolverine the kind of the main character of the first one, which makes sense. So you know, knew that they'd probably be exploring his past uh, and things like that. But yeah, I don't think I don't think I was prepared for kind of quite how ambitious it was in terms of just the, the kind of the scope. And like I say, like handling, like managing to have good stories mm. for everyone. You know, I think there, there's there's some people who could, you know, come out better and who are a little bit underserved, you know, Cyclops and Storm. I think they've never quite got right on screen yet. Hopefully, when they they come into the MCU, they they'll they'll actually put the character work in and make them kind of pop as hard as some of the the easier characters to adapt have have kind of uh, become popular. But um, yeah, I think it's you know there's so many sequences in that film that just blew me away, like the the attack on the school, brilliant, that comes kind of halfway through, is that that's kind of like I still hold that up as like so good and 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 you know having read a lot of the comics it's still one of my if i think of kind of x-men medium media as a whole it's one of my favorite like sequences because it is it's that great idea of like oh these you know you've got these hardened mercenary military tough guys or you know kind of thing coming into this school to attack these teenagers and yet they're 
woefully unprepared for what they actually find there um and it's got that great mix of you have these these you know the, these teenage characters who are incredibly like vulnerable and you know the the they're, they are children but they also have this incredible kind of strength and, and power and abilities that they can use and it deploys them in really interesting ways you get you know you get siren doing the sonic screen that kind of disrupts everyone and you get shadow cat you know even though she wasn't one line i think in that film you know you get a sequence of her running through the walls and you get that brilliant colossus yeah. uh cameo I, yeah. I wish they um, used him more the yeah i mean i think it's it's a shame he obviously had a, a bit more to do in x-men the last stand but the, the quality of that film is so <laughs> dire that it doesn't really count i want to ask about that yeah yeah, and I think I think the you know the final fight with uh, between Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike again is cool. is just kind of really interestingly done, and like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart so great in it, continuing their kind of I think the friend- rivalry and friendship, and the, the, the yeah. complex relationship. I love that. Yeah, I yeah, love how exactly. nuanced it is. I love how Magneto is a baddie mm. that is that you're really I'm really sympathetic to Magneto. I think I really kind of get his. Oh, yeah. I get why he's like he is. You know, I. I feel that i can understand mm. and i also i think it's so badass that he makes the iron in someone's blood rip out of them it's that just, scene is so good that's as well. so good it is so yeah. good the escape all, all of the action scenes like there's something in them that just sticks in my memory that's just like that's so great like the even even quite small scale stuff like when uh the police get called to Iceman's like parents' house, and you have Pyro oh, kind yeah, of setting yeah. the cars on fire. It's just, it's such a great kind of example of that character who is clearly kind of starts out at the Xavier Institute and is is headed towards the evil path. Uh, and and you un, but you kind of understand that he is, you know, he sees this response that has come for them of all these armed cops based on nothing beyond them just mm. being mutants. And and you know, he kind of snaps and 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 is like, you know, if you're that scared of me, I'm going to show you why you should be scared. And then you get that great scene between Magneto and him when they're on the the jet or a helicopter, I can't remember which, where Magneto's like, you're you are a god among insects, and you know you should never yeah. apologize for it. And you understand you understand how seductive Magneto's ideas are, and you know how in a lot of ways he's kind of in the right you know that the, the humans have done these you know awful things and continue to do these awful things and maybe sort of si- singing kumbaya and, and hoping that the humans are nice to us is not and you understand not the best, where that's come uh, from of, because, of dealing with it you know he was a mm. jewish boy in a concentration camp essentially wasn't he so his parents ripped away from him yeah, I can, yeah. you can absolutely understand mm. why he's why he's like he is i, I love magneto <laughs> he's just just mm. my favourite character. <laughs> I also love the fact he's not the bad guy in this film. Like as good as Magneto, like Ian Kellen is, and he's always sneering. And you think, yeah, he's he's trouble. Brian mm. Cox and Strikers. Oh god, William Striker's is the most evil man on the planet. Like, and just he just turns out to eleven. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Every good film has yeah. a good bad guy, and if you don't have a good bad guy, then what's the point? He lobotomized nah. his own son. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There isn't any more evil than that. That's it. So the sequels. So this ends on a really good cliffhanger, doesn't it? With the uh, the phoenix in the water. Mm. And were you excited for that? Do you think fucking hell they're going to do the phoenix? The Dark yeah, phoenix? I mean, I mean, I was. Um, <laughs> I. I... <laughs> and then then Last Stand came along. I I think it is the phoenix story is so hard to tell in film. I think because it's the kind of thing where ideally you need 
you need a film that's about Phoenix kind of showing up in whatever that means, whether it's Jean Grey kind of unlocking a new level of her powers or you go for the kind of cosmic stuff, which is, you know, from the comic books, but, you know, depends on how you're at, uh, doing an adaptation of these stories. But, like, I think you need a film where it's just her at that new power level dealing with whatever problems before you then have the twist of her, like, her power being corrupted. Mm. I think the, the films have managed to wreck it twice uh you know uh i don't i'm not sure that like last stand last stand is terrible but it might actually be better than dark phoenix because dark phoenix is so dull and last stand even though it's ridiculous it has some moments where you're just like yeah fine whatever okay this is so stupid let's have Vinnie Jones as the juggernaut, you know, whatever. And they keep making the same mistakes. They keep having they keep having it become Xavier's story rather than Gene's story. They keep completely screwing up the, the Gene and Cyclops relationship, yeah. which is kind of foundational to it. They keep making it about power corrupting Jean Grey rather than having her have that power and then other people trying to take advantage of her and that is what kind of triggers that that descent into darkness it shouldn't just be hey this woman's so powerful she must go crazy because you know that's that's a pretty it's a it's a trope that's shown up over and over again in comic books and other media and it's pretty damn sexist like so much of what makes the story in the comics great is it's about people trying to take advantage of her and woefully mm -hmm. underestimating her like capabilities and it it coming back to bite them on the ass, but in a way that kind of slowly kind of corrupts her and and twists the power that she's using into something less kind of pure and something that then kind of controls her. But, you know, if she'd have just been left to use it, you know, in, in the kind of heroic way that she wanted to, probably would have been fine. You almost need a Phoenix trilogy, don't you? You almost need a... That, that, yeah, that would be how yeah. to make it in, in movie terms, is make it a trilogy and, and have it all about her. Yeah. And the X-Men, the rest of the X-Men are kind of background characters essentially yeah i mean i think <laughs> maybe marvel may, who who knows maybe i mean i would be i don't know how i feel about integrating the mutants into the mcu i think it's tricky when you already have a universe up and running of like how do you because they because they're so often used as kind of a an analogy and a metaphor for for various minorities like how do you suddenly just drop this minority into a universe I think there's there, I think there's ways they could do it and clever ways they could do it, but I I'm apprehensive about it until it until it's actually you know done and I can I can uh, pick it apart then. And I think there's other stories that they could cover before they try and do Phoenix again if they decide to do it. I understand why they keep coming back to it because it's one of the best comic stories ever written. It's it's a tricky one to adapt. You you know you kind of like you say you almost need to do a trilogy or have it be like a background subplot kind of running in you know one or two films and then coming to the fourth in the in the third film you know so much of the x-men comics is kind of this long-running soap opera stuff and so in theory they're really suited to the kind of the model that the mcu has now and you know they you know be perfect for all your mm. disney plus series and stuff like that so yeah. who knows we shall see this episode is brought to you by twizzlers long day late night Feeling a little bored? Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. 
what is the, the sequel you've been most disappointed with? So you probably went in oh. with a lot of hype and then at the end you just felt really deflated. Not a bad sequel, mm. just disappointed. Yeah, I mean, the X-Men ones are up there. As soon as they kind of switched to Brett Ratner, my expectations <laughs> dropped considerably. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that they were kind of trying to do two different plots at the same time from the kind of like rather than just focusing on one it, it felt very um i don't, I don't know if spider-man 3 had came out before oh, x-men 3, Spider-Man 3. Probably, <laughs> uh, i think spider-man 3 probably came out after now i think about it but they both had similar issues where it's like hey let's try and do like three different storylines at the same time it's yeah, like yeah. you don't need to do that in terms of disappointment i was actually really disappointed with guardians of the galaxy 2 Oh, okay. I know some people really love it. I I wasn't blown away by Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Like, it's a film I enjoyed it at the time, and the more I go back to it, the more things I find to kind of pick apart at it. And Guardians 2 kind of, I felt like it focused on all the things that I liked least about the first Guardians film. Um, and I was I was excited going in. I You know, I thought there's bits about Guardians that I love, you know, the the... I think the visual sense of it is gorgeous, far more interesting than most of what the MCU is doing. Generally speaking, I like James Gunn as a, as a director and as and as a writer, but there were just elements of it that I was just like, I'm not enjoying this. The sense of humour, like everybody's constantly laughing at their own jokes in that film, and I find it really irritating. And I think it's another case of there's a lot of plot points that don't seem to really go anywhere. There's the whole stuff with the, I can't even remember the name of them, the golden people <laughs> who are like flying around in the drones at the end. Yeah, yeah. Which I know is kind of trying to set up future plot points, but it takes up so much real estate in the film that it feels like it that could have been used better elsewhere. Yeah, so I, I kind of came out of that and I was like, oh man, I, I didn't necessarily have high hopes for that film, but I was I was hoping that it would kind of take the things that I really enjoyed about Guardians and focus on those, and instead it took the parts that I really disliked and, and made a film out of those. It's not the best, uh, So, yeah. I think... It it come pretty low in my ranking of the of the MCU movies. I, I especially mm. don't like the whole the thing Star Lord's dad being a planet or a god. I'm not sure what he is, but all that gets confusing. <laughs> and yeah. It's, it's... yeah. I mean, I I respect James Gunn for having the balls to be like, yeah, we're gonna take some of the weirdest stuff from like the the Marvel comics. Hey, you heard of this guy? Ego the <laughs> Living Planet. Um, and, you know, and, and trying to sell that to, you know, a big general audience. And the fact that yeah. a general audience is now willing to accept it, where, you know, you go back 20 years ago and it was like, oh, I don't think we can have them in yellow spandex. They might look weird. Um, it's like, you want weird? The, the, the two of the most popular characters are a talking tree and a talking raccoon. So, you know, more more power to him for that. But I think the execution of those ideas is kind of lacking. And, you know, you end up with a film where it's got like a David Hasselhoff mm. cameo and a sort of like a Pac-Man joke uh, in the big grand finale. And it just feels like it's it feels like it's constantly undercutting itself and it doesn't need to keep taking the mickey out of itself. It can be a serious yeah. and heartfelt film and and still have a sense of humour about itself. But but it doesn't need to keep kind of pointing and going like, hey, this is weird, isn't <laughs> well, it? Rocket Ooh. for me. I, yeah, I, yeah. I think Rocket Raccoon is the best thing in that movie. He is the best character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll do me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I, I will forever respect, uh, like Bradley Cooper for for actually giving a performance, 
um and and creating like a voice for that character because not to keep going back to to x-men and, and that kind of stuff but i find <laughs> like the fact that we had ryan reynolds as deadpool and then ryan reynolds as detective pikachu and they both have exactly the same voice yeah yeah made it so weird what because i would just watch like the detective pikachu trailers and i'd just be like but he just sounds like deadpool <laughs> and ryan reynolds like, just plays ryan reynolds <laughs> i like pikachu yeah we've worked, we've worked that out now yeah very much so so um yeah i i i, I I like that Bradley Cooper actually like put in the effort to mm. to craft this like interesting character yeah. who isn't just hey I'm Bradley Cooper I'm a film star so I'm just going to show up and kind of be myself. The easiest gig ever. <laughs> I remember seeing something that was like it was like there was about a three year stretch. Vin Diesel was in some of the biggest films of like all time in terms of box office, and all he had to do was say three words. Yeah, you know, Ridiculous. but 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 God love him, he puts his heart and soul into each of those you know <laughs> syllables. You know, apparently knows like oh you know this time I'm saying I am Groot, but what I'm really meaning is you know oh the the bad guys are coming or you know whatever. That's quite cool. What is the worst sequel you've ever watched? So I don't know if this is the worst. Obviously, at Sequelizers, we deal with a lot of bad sequels. But I think the one that sticks in my mind the most is Men in Black 2. Great answer. Because the first film was so good. And we, we kind of, I've, I've mentioned on, on Sequelizers a few times about how I feel like Men in Black 2 was like my critical mind coming online. Because before that, I just kind of watched movies and they just kind of washed over me. And I was just like, I liked it when the explosions happened and the people <laughs> said the funny things. And I watched Men in Black 2 and I was like, huh, I'm not feeling entertained. In fact, I. I'm kind of sitting here and just feeling like angry because I feel like I've been conned out of money. <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, and I can't stop thinking about like, oh, that was bad. I would have done that differently or, you know, that, oh, why have they made this choice? And so it was, it was like my critical brain kind of waking up for the first time. And I kind of walked out of that film and was just like, man, that was bad. I did not like that. And it, it, it in, so in some ways it was great because it, it forced me to start questioning my relationship with media and stuff wow. like that but what a disappointment after such a brilliant first film and it, you kind of think like where did you go wrong you had the same stars who had the fantastic chemistry between um, Tommy Lee Jones and, and Will Smith you have the same director like you've got you know great budget and all that kind of stuff and it's just dreck it's just bad i know there's some people out there who do like it and i'm like i don't who, understand who you <laughs> they're wrong yeah i wouldn't say i like oh, it no. but i don't hate it oh rich is shit it is shit <laughs> i was a massive men in black fan i bought the single i was it was in the front of the first film magazine i ever bought i was so into i loved will mm. smith i loved the aliens i loved the him and toby lee jones i loved everything about men in black and i was so excited for men in black too and then you watch it and like you said the choices they make are just absolutely a puddle of piss and this even the cgi was bad back there with the johnny knoxville extra heads yeah and the storyline the terrible like we're talking about how good magneto and striker were as bad guys and then we get <laughs> laura boyle flynn whatever it is <laughs> it's supposed to be a b movie though isn't it it's supposed to be like a 50s it's Meant supposed to be, to be a Richard. 50s b movie and that's why they're cheesy you know that's that's kind of the the angle they're going at do you not think it's entertaining at all? Do you not get any anything from it? I I mean I haven't no. watched it in a long long time, I did. but I can think of like one scene that I enjoy which is where Will Smith is going to the yeah, post office to like, like. <laughs> re 
reawaken Tommy Lee Jones's character, and you have the bit starring the tragically just died mm. Biz Marquis doing like beatboxing to kind of like identify himself as an alien. And the reason that scene is actually quite good apart from like having great people in it, is because it's a joke that wasn't in the first one and feels new. Whereas so much of that film is, hey, you liked the pug from the first film, let's bring him back and give him like more lines yeah. but less to worms. do, basically. Ugh. Hey, you like the worm guys, let's bring them back. Hey, you like this, hey, you like that. You liked uh, when Tony Shalhoub got his head shot off, let's do that again. It's, it's repeating every joke with diminishing returns. Even the final joke where, where you have that zoom out from the, the Earth to show that, you know, we've been dealing with a galaxy that's in a marble and, hey, our galaxy's in a marble too, and, you know, it's, it keeps going out. And they do exactly the same joke at the end of the second film. But worse because it's there's like when no. You get a really yeah. shit band does tries to play the cover hits of your favorite band, and they're all rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> it's like every single moment. Do you not like Rosario Dawson? I love well, Rosario I Dawson. I like her. I don't like Rosario you know. Dawson in this film. I don't like. Honestly, I watched it a few yeah, days ago. I, I mean, she... and it made me angry again. And I'm sorry I come across angry, <laughs> but it really was dreadful. It's all right. I really hate, one thing I really hate about sequels is when they work so hard on the first sequel film to either kill off or do something to a character so they don't come back. And then then they instantly, first thing they do in the second sequel is go and get them back. I I hate it. At least have a film in the middle of it or introduce him right at the end like as a teaser. Yeah. Brant over. And they'd they'd even set up at the end of the first film of like, hey, you know, uh, Linda Fiorentino's character is going to be an agent now. And they've, you know, they've Mm. they've they've sort of rebooted, not rebooted, but, you know, they've modernized the men in black a bit. And, you know, Will Smith's kind of more in charge now. And then they throw that all away and it goes back. I understand that you, you know, producers and whatever want to try and recapture the things that made the first film great. But if you just like photocopy the first film you're not going to end up with the same lightning in a mm. bottle you're just going to end up with like a shitty black and white version of it basically it's uh they, they like you say they they a great ending for like tommy lee jones's character in that first film and then they undo it and throw it away and it's oh yeah it's it's so terrible <laughs> Maybe I need to watch it again. I can feel all the I can feel all the anger returning to me. Maybe it's because I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, yeah. His new song is "Nod Your Head." Is not even a patch on Men in Black, and that also makes me angry. Yeah. Is there any scenes that you you really don't like? I mean, like I say, I I haven't watched it because it it just it has that presence in my mind of just like it's so bad. I just remember like like you say, Laura Flynn Boyle's character is just so dreadful and is is sort of made of like weird rubbery mm, roots like a, yeah. that then turn into a lingerie model and she's just like a complete charisma vacuum every time she's on screen and i remember the final unless i'm confusing it with men in black three the final fight has like jay fighting hovering dudes yeah jay, yeah. yeah yeah you're right in in these sort of like big-headed but small aliens in these kind of hover chairs and i just remember that fight scene being absolutely atrocious when you compare it to the the conclusion of the first film where you've got the bug and and tommy lee jones getting swallowed and then will smith like desperately trying everything he can to like keep it from climbing up to to get into the ufo and this film just has like will smith just being kind of like thrown around a sound stage and like crashing onto metal pipes again and again that's exactly what happened yeah and and i mean said like 
Lara Flimbo's like villain is so bad and when you compare it to um Vincent D'Onofrio's performance in the first film which like that should have won an Oscar like him as Edgar it's an incredible performance yeah. and it should have been because nothing there was nothing in the script that particularly asked for that I've like seen some behind the scenes stuff on it and and he's kind of like he says how like he got the, the script for it and he was like oh okay so I'm a I'm an insect walking around in like a human's skin basically like how am I going to do this? And I'm, he got stuff like like leg braces put on himself so he'd walk funny and kind of things like that. And he showed up to set and it was like, oh yeah, Barry Sonnenfeld comes over and he's like, so, okay, so how are you thinking of playing this? And he's like, well, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Does this grotesque performance. Barry Sonnenfeld was just like, okay, can you still move fast when you need to? Because there's a few scenes where you have to run. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, that's fine. Uh, and, and he just like came up with it whole cloth and it's so good. And you really, you like genuinely forget that he's a human actor giving a performance because he just is so inhuman in his movements and just feels so, he, you, you feel like he's this huge creature crammed into this tiny space mm. making all these kind of spasmy movements and yeah and then compared to the villains in the second one just abysmal i think i need to watch this movie again i can't understand the whole <laughs> laundry model bit i just don't forget that when i was watching it the other day i don't see the point of it it's just to show off her body right it's pretty much the same joke as terminator 3 where they have the terminator's boobs blow up it's it's very um teenage boy humor that is true I probably it's very it. early 2000s <laughs> it's very it's very early 2000s yes yeah i just want to skip back a little bit so when you said it was like the awakening of your your critical <laughs> critical brain i had exactly that same thing in mission impossible and i know mission impossible isn't a terrible film but mm. i watched it and i thought i, I don't like this i mean <laughs> i'm in the cinema and i'm watching a film and i don't like it it doesn't make sense I'm like, what what's happened to me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there is there is something special about that first time where you're like where pure when going to the cinema has just been this kind of like almost like going to a theme park or something. It's like, oh, it's just an experience. And then, you know, I sit there and I the, tells me a story and it's great. And then the first time that you go in, especially if you're excited for something mm. and you kind of walk away from it and go like, Oh, that really was bad. I think there is something special about that kind of light coming on in your brain. Yeah. And I don't know why, because I watch Mission Impossible now and I think, eh, it's not all right, it's all right. It's okay. I don't know why I hated it so much, really. Like, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I remember exactly that moment. I remember exactly the moment when I watched a black and white f- film and thought, hey, black and white films are okay. Like, yeah. my, my gran loved the cinema and she took me to watch The Third Man. And I thought, oh, oh wow. this is going to be so boring. Like, I'm not going to enjoy this. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. Yeah, that's when I was like, hey, Hey, black and white films are good. Like, I'm gonna watch <laughs> Casablanca now. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And and I think I've got to watch Men in Black too. Maybe I'm I've I just didn't register how bad it was before because I wasn't expecting it to be anything special. Have you seen Men in Black mm. International? Yeah, this I is have. worse than that, and that is also a pile of dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I've avoided International because. I was so uh, not necessarily so excited. I had high hopes for it because it's got such a great cast. And then I saw the reviews of it, and I was like, "Oh man, they've just they've done it again. They've taken these like characters who should have great chemistry and stuff like that, and then just like saddled them with just terrible stuff." Yeah, they've done a weird thing. What's his name again? Chris Hemsworth. That they found out it can be funny when he's in Ghostbusters and as in Mm. the most recent four films, and they've just said, "Just do that. Just do that." Yeah. And it also, it's so predictable. You can tell who the bad guy is from the first two minutes he's on screen. It's embarrassing. I won't spoil that because it's quite a new film, but yeah. it's awful. One other thing that stands out is 
the absolutely like I have no idea what they were thinking when they made this decision, but the fact that they have Tommy Lee Jones and Rip Torn doing like super kung fu oh, at yeah. various points is just oh, like I forgot about I, that. Yeah, that it's, is bad. It just comes out of nowhere, and it's like what? Because they obviously it's it's a science fiction film, and there's a lot of weird stuff going on, but the the reality of it is fairly kind of grounded, and there's no indication of like there's a bit where like Rip Torn is just like floating in the air doing kicks uh, <laughs> at Laura Flynn Boyle, <laughs> and it's just like. What the? F- I know the Matrix came out a little while ago, or maybe it didn't. Maybe they that was pre-Matrix. But what is going on, guys? Like, what prompted this decision? When did you think this was like funny or cinematic? Even like, it's just bad. It I just bad. remembered that bit, and and I, <laughs> I remembered rem- like thinking about it and going, "He's gonna put a hip out." Yeah, like, he shouldn't be moving like that. Yes, but, he's yeah. an old man. Rich, it's a B movie, remember? <laughs> what I meant was, I understand what they were trying to do with the bad guy oh, because okay. they tried to make her like a fifties B movie villain, like a fifties B movie alien, like mm. what she would be in that film. I get that. That's all I'm saying. I think I still think it's a bad bad guy compared to the first one. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. no, nothing scary like the bug. Like the bug is amazing, but yeah, that's I'm just saying that I I get what they're trying to do. Yeah. I always thought that they just threw Johnny Knoxville in because it, Jackass was big at that point, and they needed. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. Well, let's get the Jackass fans, and I I'm one of them, and I was disappointed by that as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> Oh. But thank you for bringing that back into my life, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, sometimes it's good to to just get yourself really angry about a film. I hopefully will never have to watch it again now, though. Yeah, that is the dream. Do you not think it's going to be someone else's worst sequel, though, Dave? I don't want to watch. I'll make you watch it this time. <laughs> Or we'll watch it together and you can just watch me get more and more angry. Oh, that's another bit that makes me angry. Okay, it's the bit <laughs> It's the bit when they work really hard to get the weapons. They go to that guy's house, don't they? Pick up all their new toys, the new weapons. Oh, yeah. And you think, yeah. wicked, this is going to be a really wicked shootout. And then they, as soon as they get into the MIB centre, they press their buttons, the doors open, and they all get blown or sucked in, and they lose all mm. their weapons. I was like, well, that was just a waste of a scene. Waste of time, everyone. Dave, I love the fact that we've swapped roles. Like, it's normally me that hates everything. I was supposed to be the grumpy one that doesn't like anything. You're supposed to be sticking up for stuff. What's going on? No, I can't stick up for this. Let's move on to our next question, which is another little question before I get really mm-hmm. angry. What is the a film that had a sequel that you, you didn't think needed one? So the, the first one was so good, so magnificent, they released a the segment like, well, why? Why do we do that? Oh man, I mean, there's so many of them that are just. There's so many films that should stand alone, and uh, and then then you know purely for monetary purposes they come along and and decide to um to to start yeah. trying to pump out more. I think comedy is kind of the worst offender here usually because it's it's so hard to kind of make like comedy scripts when they're really good are like gold dust. <laughs> And it takes time to like craft a joke. And usually with comedy sequels, they try and really like hurry them out mm. as quickly as possible. And they want it to kind of come out two years later so that people who remember you know, enjoyed the first one still kind of remember it because it doesn't it doesn't have the same kind of like plot strength that, you know, having 
a thriller or an action film you know sometimes comedies have a shelf life as well exactly mm. yeah yeah like hangover um, was funny I, at that point but you watch it now it's it's not all works yeah exactly i mean that's that's kind of like a prime example really isn't it like there's nothing in the hangover that's begging for a sequel <laughs> no. and 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 yet they made two more and it just so much of comedy as well like is is characters getting into these kind of like extraordinary situations the hangover you know it's great example and and mining that for comedy and you just have to kind of like hang hang a hat on the fact that oh wow they're back in the same situation who would have thought it you know it 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 becomes increasingly kind of ridiculous to try and tell and because you know if if you're making it purely for money then you've probably got producers who are saying just make it the same as before you guys are funny just do just be funny again and make it make it close to the first one and so it's very rare that you'll get a comedy that will actually that will have a sequel and the sequel will push it off in a different direction i can't really think of of any off the top of my head where they've actually really tried to find a new angle on mm. the same characters kind of thing usually it's just we're going to retread the same jokes over and over again and you know we're going to bring back all the characters you liked from the first one um and then you know we're going to have them do that line that you liked except this time they're going to shout it the only way to do it is like the kevin smith movies i think isn't it and do a completely different movie that you just slot the characters into that people like mm. so you have jay and silent bob in all of those movies but dogma is nothing like clerks you know it's like yeah you make a completely different movie and just slot in the people that everyone went, oh, I like them. I like those guys, you know, mm. that kind of, that's the only way I think you can do it with, with comedy. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, I like like Friday and I, I actually like next Friday more than I like Friday, but mm. they don't do anything special with it. It's just, I just think there's more jokes in it. It's funnier. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just think of stuff like Anchorman 2. Ugh. Which, you know, I loved the first Anchorman film when it came out. I, you know, laughed so hard at it. But A, there was no need for a sequel. And B, that is a dreadful film. Yeah, and, and it's just, you know, you think it's very rare, especially for comedy where you're focusing on being funny rather than, like, crafting these amazing characters usually, yeah. that you can have a, a story that, that really prompts you to go, like, well, hang on, I want to keep going with these characters. I want to find out what happens next to them, you know. Most comedies aren't set up that way because for the most part they're trying to just deliver the jokes to get the laughs out of the audience. And you know, that's perfectly fine. You know, and obviously you get some that are more subtle than that and are satirical or they're really character focused comedies that are, you know, a bit different. But even stuff like Wes Anderson, like I would never want to see a sequel to a Wes Anderson film. No. Because as much as I love the characters in them, that's the story that he had to tell with them. And mm. they're not necessarily like, I don't want to check back in on the Royal Tenenbaums five years later <laughs> and see what misadventures they've got up to. Like, that sounds awful. Would be awful. <laughs> God. I'm trying to think of a comedy that has a decent sequel. As in, I can think of a comedy that has a decent sequel, but as Tim was saying, not that there's anything different. The only one I can think in my head, mm. and you guys would probably disagree, is Austin Powers 2. Which I think Austin Powers is the only one I can think of. Yeah, that was the only mm. one. I was like, do you know what? They're okay. Yeah, like, I, I had a. Pre- I think, I think we talked about this in a previous right, podcast, like... and someone, one of my friends, texted me. I was like, "Well, Austin Powers Two is better than Austin Powers One." He'd be angry if I don't mention him. Ian, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> we we just did uh, fixed gold member on sequelizers actually, yeah. and and had a big discussion about. It. And it's interesting how like 
for for a lot of people those first two films really melt together and people don't remember like oh mini me doesn't show up until the second film and stuff like that and and i think for a lot of people they they've kind of turned into the same uh, mm. film almost but i think it like you say they have the good idea of like the first film is about a guy from the 60s brought to the 90s and then the second film is what happens if we send him back in time now and ha- him having learned the lessons of the first film to be yeah. you know a more kind of quote unquote modern person and see how he deals with that and then the third film is just a complete absence of ideas and they're like what if the 70s <laughs> but but also we don't really do much with that so it's like our version of the 70s is basically just the 60s but with disco music (laughs) and also we're only going to spend maybe like 30% of the film there yes it is rubbish (laughs) what is your dream sequel so I absolutely love uh, Leon the Professional great film great choice just such a great film such amazing performances from from Jean Reno and, and Natalie Portman and I kind it kind of boggles my mind that given that Natalie Portman went on to be like a superstar and one of the best actresses of her generation, all those kind of things, that we never got a film that said, hey, what's Matilda up to now? Yeah. Like, what is this little girl who wasn't, <laughs> it's not like raised to be an assassin or anything, but but had this incredibly like dramatic and meaningful experience this kind of you know like the film's meant to span like maybe a month of time that that she spends with leon maybe like two weeks to a month i guess what what is her life like now and and to me that is you know we talked about like stories that don't need to be told to me there is another story there and i i'm sort of yeah like i say it, it boggles my mind that that no one ever came along and went like hey we've got this incredibly famous actress and this there's a kind of like hanging question mark at the end of that film of, you know, as much as it's about Leon trying to kind of like save her and get her out of this situation that she's found herself in and and try and find a way to keep her safe and a way to kind of get her out of the situation and out of the life that he has made for himself. I think because that film is is very tragic on a lot of levels, I feel like there's room there to do another film which is about kind of the grown Matilda's tragedy of like what happens if she gets sucked back into that life or something like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. And that that when when you this was I knew this was a dream sequel and I watched Leon again and I was like, yes, I'm so glad I get to watch this again. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's and so nice when we thinking, get to watch how, good films again. How do yeah. we make a sequel out of this? How where's the sequel come from? And that's exactly what I thought too. Is that there really is scope to to follow Matilda's story, isn't there? There really is an, mm. an opportunity there, and I don't know if Luke Besson is like, like I, I don't think he's even like thought about it now, is he? He's too into Taken, and I think Luke you know, Besson is of... in the same boat as Brian Singer or somewhere at the moment. He's not in. Um... Oh, oh, yeah, he's I did again. Not know unfortunately, that. <laughs> I was about to say, will you keep the same director? But I don't think they'll have him back. No, so would you I, like to, I would not. Would you like to direct to yourself, or would you? Um, is there a director? No, I, I actually, I have a director in my. I even have like a date when I, it, when I would have released it. Oh, We're past it go now. For it. But I, because to me, Leon, even though I think it's again, this is kind of about the age when you watch it and stuff like that. It's not one of these films where it's like, oh, New York is its own character in this film. But for me, it, it for some reason, it's lodged in my brain as like a kind of an iconic New York film. Yeah. And so I was like, I was thinking about this and I was like, well, I don't want to get Luke Besson back, A, because of the various, you know, allegations and stuff surrounding him. 
but also because he's just kind of gone downhill <laughs> since uh, uh, since then. Like, who would I who would I want? And I would want a char- uh, I would want a director who could kind of capture that. And my brain went to Spike Lee. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think I don't think he's ever, if memory serves, like done a full blown kind of like action thriller. I think the closest is probably Inside Man. Um, which is more of like a heist film. Did he do the old boy um, remake? Am I? Oh, of course, yes. I, I've, well, never, I've yeah. never seen mm. it, so I can't tell you. What I've ne- I've never seen his version of old boy, but I do think that I think that th- th- there's so many scenes in his films. He does tension absolutely fantastically, um, and like character driven stuff so well. And I think that having him direct that would be really really interesting. So I thought, I instantly thought, kind of. Emerald Fennel from uh, the Ooh, after Promising yeah. Young Woman. If you're going to do a female-led assassin movie, then I'd really like to see what she would do with that. I think that'd be yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of female directors out there actually now that are coming up that are, would be really really interesting to see do this. I think yeah, and it and it would be interesting to get that point of view on it. I think the thing with picking Spike Lee is like there's you know he's going to bring in some different conversations there's going to be some conversations about like race and stuff in there and i think that there's i think that there there would be an interesting angle that you could find on that because i think so much of leon is about kind of like innocence yeah and both leon even though he's a hitman is quite this innocent figure and obviously matilda he's like trying to even though she's quite world weary in a lot of ways and kind of cynical he's trying to maintain some of her innocence even while he's teaching her how to like snipe politicians in the park um and stuff like that and i think there's an interesting conversation you could have about kind of like who gets to be innocent in our society and spike lee could have you know there's a racial element to that that could be really interesting there but obviously yeah i think there's a lot of female filmmakers who you could pick out and who could also like produce some really interesting stuff i had uh, an idea actually i had for when i'd kind of like put it uh 2011 and get natalie portman she'd just have done won her oscar for black swan so she's in that kind of post oscar buzzy period and you could swoop in and get her to make this instead of Your Highness, which is the dreadful stoner fantasy action comedy <laughs> that she was in. <laughs> it's it's appalling. James Franco, Danny McBride. Oh, that sounds bad already. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good. You had me at James Franco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I would I would swoop in, I would say, don't do that, do this. I would also, in 2010, there was the film Never Let Me Go, Kira Knightley in it, and she had a younger version of herself played by uh, an actress called Ella Purnell, who's gone on to do some other things. She was re- most recently in Army of the Dead by Zack Snyder, but we'll forgive her for that. But she is like the spitting image of a young Kira Knightley, and obviously Kira Knightley played Natalie Portman's like double in Phantom Menace, and I was like, aha, brilliant. If I need to do like flashbacks to young Matilda again, I've got perfect casting lined up there already. That was that was my brain process ticking away at like how how i would do uh, uh a matilda in in that period anyway how would you top gary oldman i was just gonna say that dave that's exactly what i was gonna say because gary oldman is amazing in this movie yeah <laughs> i mean i think that would that would almost be the challenge because i think you could get a really you know really great performance out of natalie portman as as you know especially with you know a decent script and, and a good director and stuff yeah. like that but i think you would need a really compelling villain i think you'd have to have someone who would do something dramatically different to gary oldman 
because if they were trying to just play on that same level as him, you're not going to beat him. You're not going to beat him listening to Beethoven in that uh, in the apartment before the like kind of bloodshed oh, all kicks so off. And like his performance, I think, sort of almost like lodged itself in my brain more than all the other when i first saw leon like that was the thing i remembered and then i went back and watched it again and was like oh there's so much great stuff in here but just gary oldman just being this ball of intensity is so great so yeah i'm not sure who you would get to um to be a villain i'm not sure even kind of what plot i would necessarily want it to deal with i think kind of like i say i think there's themes that you could explore about kind of trauma uh and kind of the the effect that that period had of her life had on her and how she tried to kind of like adjust to it and and stuff like that and possibly even having her try and like almost kind of become a like protector to other like young girls and stuff like yeah, that i think that would be a kind of natural step for that character to be kind of sort of that approach of like I had something horrible happen to me when I was a kid. I'm going to make sure no one else has to go through that. Almost the Batman mindset. But yeah, as far as the villain goes, I'm not sure. But it would need to be someone bloody good. I think you're onto something. We should call it Matilda the Professional. Because <laughs> I've always wondered what kind of life she would ha- she has. Like, did she stay at that boarding school? Yeah. Or did she leave and life of crime or whatever? Or did she have a good upbringing? It, it makes me wonder quite often, especially watching it the other yeah. night. After she planted her tree. Yeah, that lovely, that, that is such a great ending because I think it is, there is that sense of like ambiguity of hanging over her of just like, has she managed to escape this life? You know, has has kind of Leon's sacrifice managed to, to get her out of it? But there's a kind of, like I say, there's a sense of like tragedy hanging over the whole film. And so I think it would be entirely, I don't think it would be under undercutting the ending of it to have it like turn out that at some point she got dragged back into mm. it. Because I think there's a, there's almost a sense of kind of the inevitability of, of violence and stuff in the in those films. Well, the, the shootout's one of the best in the apartment is right up there for me. Oh. It's just so clever as well. Yeah, and just I uh, I mean it's it's such a it's a film full of just amazing like iconic moments like hit when Leon just kind of appears out of the shadows and puts the knife to the to the guy's throat in the kind of the opening sequence and then brings the phone up. It's just like mm, poetic cinema. <laughs> we were talking about earlier about awakenings when you're watching fin- uh, cinema i'm pretty mm. sure leon's one of the ones for me that just started to get my creative juices flowing and thinking about films in a different way it's just so and the music is it eric Serra or his name I, I, yeah i think so yeah the music's such so good in here as well i remember listening to that a lot at university and it's just mm. it would have to start off with a big your sequel big action piece wouldn't it or would you i th- i think so i think you would not I think you would have some, you would have some some big action beat, but not necessarily something that involved Matilda to start with, okay. um, and then bring her character kind of into the fold. Because I don't, as much as I'm like, oh, I think there's an ambiguity over, you know, did she escape from this life of crime? Like, what, you know, has she has she turned into almost like Leon Mark II kind of thing? I think you would. I don't think I picture her, you know, she's not one of the Fast and the Furious cast members. Like, you know, if you're going to have like this big explosive opening, you would want, I think that would be a good example of, you know, that's how you bring the villain in uh, and then you show her reacting to it. Especially because like so much of Leon is about stealth and subtlety. 
you know, and, and talking about, you know, oh, you know, the, the when you get really good, all you need is the knife. And that's, you know, that's the closest you get as close up as possible. And, you you know, they barely know you're there. Whereas, you know, Gary Oldman character is like, fuck it. Everyone's going to know I'm here. Bring me, bring me everyone, you know, blow up this, you know, whole place. So I think you you almost need the antagonist as the kind of the force of chaos, the, 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 the match that lights the dynamite kind of thing at the start of yeah. the film. Oh, it'd be amazing. I, I would love to see it. I really mm. would. I'm surprised they haven't done it. I'm, they must have at some point had a conversation with Natalie Portman about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what, like, the rights situations yeah. and stuff like that is. You know, I mean, it's entirely possible that she sort of says no in her mind. You know, Matilda has a happy ending and, and to go back to that would be she, she wouldn't want to see that. Who knows? But um, Devil's yeah. Advocate, do you think some of the... I'm trying to think where you're putting it. Well, the storyline, the relationship between Leon and Matilda. I was just that thinking that too. Off, That's, you know, we can't talk about Leon without talking about the whole yeah, that relationship. I think, I think it does put people off. I know that I think the, there's like cuts that were made when it was, especially when it was shown in America, that like don't exist. And there's kind of like the the almost like the unrated French version, mm. um, which sounds a lot worse than it is. I think that's the director's cut that's on 4K that I watched the other day that I've yeah. got now. And it's no worse than the the original, to be honest. When it comes to that kind of thing, it's still yeah. got those those question marks. Yeah, and I think obviously, especially like knowing the stuff about Luke Besson, we do now. Like, there's big question marks over that. But I think mm. that there is. I think it the stuff that it's exploring in 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 the relationship between Leon and Matilda is is like obviously it's stuff you want to handle correctly. But I don't think it's it's conversations that should be necessarily like forbidden because he is very much like kind of loves her like a father, you know, at least in my reading on it, on it. Yeah. He's very much like this guardian, like parental figure. And she's like a teenage girl and she's kind of exploring. She's trying to work out how she feels about this person who is not her family, who's not her father, who has come in and rescued her and her kind of working through that is part of the film like there's you know she kind of gets a crush on him and you know all those kind of things but i think towards the end of the film it's much more that they that the, their relationship is very much like parent and child and you know mm. it's him sacrificing himself for her and you know the the relationship has become much simpler by the end but i don't think it's necessarily wrong to have that complexity in there because uh, as long as you're handling it sensitively and and not making it something exploitative and also it, it's it's not like leon is ever kind of predatory towards no. her uh and then and then we hold you know still hold him up as a hero kind of thing it's that it's very wrong. much it's it's about her feelings towards him and so you know i think as long as you have a decent writer and you know director and stuff like that who who is aware of the that they're dealing with quite complex you know emotions and stuff like that i think that's fine yeah i think you know i think that's the the other thing is that you can have a sequel would give you the chance to have that conversation to have matilda's character talking about how she feels about those moments looking back now as a as a grown-up yeah. does she you know how does she feel about them you know maybe it's it's that kind of thing of like I can't, I can't believe i you know like did that like it was so kind of like weird and embarrassing or you know what you know it, uh, i think there's there's plenty of material to explore there i think like you're saying it's it, 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 new york is a big part of this film but i also feel like i don't think i've seen a film that's not set in france feel quite so french like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. Like... it's it's a very European sensibility. A lot of it was filmed in France, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think you know, and I think it's it's weird. I think I 
I think if I kind of rewatched it now with a real like eye and focusing on locations, I'd probably go like, why why do I feel this is so like New York when it's obviously you know Paris or or Marseille like doubling for kind of ambiguous New York ish American city? It would be Glasgow now if it happened nowadays. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Belfast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or where where whatever new place has the biggest tax breaks? Yeah, for for whatever reason, I think it just um, in my brain it was like, oh, this is this is a real New York film. So, you know, who knows, maybe a sequel, they'd, they'd explore a bit more the kind of the city and, and uh, stuff like that. But like you say, it's, it's a very French slash European feeling American film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's it's, it's the thing of like it creates this unique sense. You know, it's it's it doesn't doesn't feel like many other films out there. It's, it still feels relevant today and it still holds up. I think if they brought back a sequel... I don't think there'd be any problems. Like sometimes a time gap is a problem when it comes to these like 20 years, 25 years, mm. 30 years later films. But I think with this, there's a purpose for why there could be such a gap. Mm. I think it'd be great. Yeah. I'd watch it. You know, you you always hope that, uh, you know, if you come up with an idea like this, you're like, yeah, it could be good. You know, I think there's 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 potential for it to be good. Uh, you just have to hope that if it did, if it did come true, it wouldn't be hugely disappointing. And those were Tim from the Sequelizers Unequal Sequels. Dave. Yeah. There were some good movies. <laughs> there were some good movies and also things that I just didn't disagree with. I feel like I went a bit ranty on Men in Black 2. I mean, I definitely don't dislike Men in Black 2 as much as either of you two. <laughs> but, you know. I truly hate it. I, I, tru- <laughs> I truly hate it. <laughs> I really, really hate it. I kind of think it's okay. Like, I mean, it's not brilliant. It's not amazing. It's okay. <laughs> Just the thought of it makes me angry, so we should move on. Yeah, I Let's thought Tim, yeah. Tim's picks were great. I think his knowledge about comic books and comic book stuff like that, it was great. It's great to talk about X-Men 2. I love X-Men 2, and I love Leon. I was really happy to watch get to watch Leon again. That was a great shout. It was really nice to talk to him. And... I'm going to get to go on their Sequelizers podcast at some point too. Surely, I'm sure you're going to get to go on it at some point as well. I think Not jealous the, remotely. I think I get to go on first because, you know, I'm the more important one. <laughs> uh, it's not true. It's because I'm going to go see Frozen the musical. You know, I'm going to take that actually <laughs> as that. We, we all know that Dave is the lead presenter of this podcast. And you sh- if you don't already, you probably don't realise that Dave puts all in all the work to make this podcast happen as well. I watch a few movies turn up and talk nonsense about them. But Dave does all the editing, he does all the social media, and he does all the booking of the guests and stuff as well, and trying to get people on this podcast. And so when I say that I'm the more important one, I really am joking. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. To be honest, mate, I'm a little lost about what I'm going to say when I go on this podcast, on this Sequelizers podcast, because normally I just take your lead. (laughs) Well, normally I follow your lead, so... I was blind leading the blind. We <laughs> You'll be fine. Around in circles. <laughs> yeah. Check out the Sequelizers podcast. It's a great podcast. I've just listened to the, the four-hour epic season. Oh, really? I haven't got to that one yet. Oh, it's some fantastic rants in it. It's really, it's really good, really interesting, really. What did they fix? Rise of Skywalker. Oh, it's Rise of Skywalker. Of course, I knew that. So it's a great lot of fixing. It's a a great companion piece with our last episode, Matt's episode. He he goes into more detail, basically. If you enjoyed Matt's 
episode go listen to that and tims if you enjoyed this episode go listen to that again should we tell them where we can listen to our own podcast yeah yeah i mean you should know because you're listening to it but you can yeah. basically listen to it on any podcasting platform with on all of them so we're on your apple we're on your google we're on your spotify we're on all of them there's not there's not a podcasting platform we're not on i don't think you can contact us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and email unequal sequel, unequal sequel, and unequal sequel at hotmail.com. So <laughs> if you've got anything to say, tell us, get in touch. Absolutely. And if you are in some way connected to the movie industry, if you are an editor, if you are a runner, if you are in costume, if you work in anything in the movie industry, we would love to talk to you about sequels because. Yeah. We just love hearing different people's opinions. We don't care if you're famous. We don't care if you have a, a huge job in the movies or a tiny job in the movies. We just want to talk to people that are passionate about films. Yes, and we're about to sit down and work out season two. So We are, yeah. So get your, get your shots in now. We will get to you on season two. Have we got anything else to say? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'm getting a dog tomorrow. That's, That's all I've got to say. Yeah, I'm very excited. Cool. That's a goodbye from me. That's a goodbye from me. Bye. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>